1: The FT. Hello and welcome back to World Weekly, the FT's international affairs podcast. I'm Gideon Rachman. As regular listeners might have noticed, we broke off these podcasts for a few weeks, but we're back now and we plan to keep going on a weekly basis. This week's programme is devoted to a discussion of the crisis in the Eurozone. I'm joined by our economics editor, Chris Giles, and from Berlin by our bureau chief there, Quentin Peel. Chris, can I start with you? I mean, this week. It did feel for a while like the crisis was really going critical, almost coming to a climax. How real was that sense? Do you think we are in a in a kind of terminal phase, potentially?
2: Well, we're certainly in a new phase. And I think this new phase started just before the G20 Cannes Summit, just when uh, the former Greek Prime Minister, George Pap- Papandreou, called a referendum. And then France and Germany, Germany stood up and said, if you have a referendum, it's in or out. So they... Merkel and Sarkozy very clearly raised the prospect of a country leaving the eurozone. And the thing that did straight away was make it absolutely clear that a Greek euro is not necessarily the same as a German euro. Uh, because at some point it might not be in the euro, so assets in Greece are not necessarily the same as assets in Germany, and then that raises the question: What about any other country? And uh, we've seen this process of people, particularly in the sovereign bond markets, thinking actually the only euro asset I want is a German euro asset, gathering pace. So we saw it with Italy, we've seen it with Spain, and now this week we're seeing it with countries you, you just wouldn't have thought couldn't be possible that they would. Any question marks? So Finland, the Netherlands. France having interest rates of 10 years at 3.6 compared with Germany at 1.8, Belgium, Austria, there's pressure on all of these government bonds and that can't happen. It can continue for a short period but it can't continue for a long period.
1: Okay, so give us an idea how much longer can it go on like this? say, with Italy having to borrow at 7%, how long can they bear that for?
2: Well, Italy's actually can borrow it can bear it in some sense better than some other countries because the maturity profile of its debt is longer to, at seven years than some of the other countries. So it's very hard to tell. What, you know, it's, a, it's a sort of how long is a piece of string type of question. I would have thought you could go for a few months like this, but not much longer.
1: And as well as the actual numbers, of course, there's this question of kind of the sense of hysteria in the markets. I mean, people are... You know, talking about France losing its AAA rating and so on is, is there a, there's obviously a psychological aspect to this as well which we have to factor yeah, in
2: all you have to think about in the markets is who's made money recently anyone betting on Euro breakup has made a stack of money anyone betting that the, the European governors will, will bring it all together and it will sort itself out has lost a pile of money and so people are thinking well actually I'll join that Euro breakup trade and that has to be stopped if you're going to actually keep, it, keep the thing together
1: well, at a crucial stage in the, in the past week, Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, made an important speech to her party in which she intervened fairly decisively in the Euro crisis.
2: For us, this means that we need to develop the European
1: Union structure further. It not been less Europe, it means more Europe. That was Angela Merkel. Now, Quentin Peel in Berlin... That speech has been seized upon as uh, a very important speech. What did you see its chief significance as being?
0: Well, at one level, I don't think that Frau Merkel is actually saying anything that she hasn't fundamentally been stressing all along, but she's, I suppose, come out more clearly in the open as saying there is a long-range vision about Europe which we still have and still share. This is a vision that is actually ultimately about something called, in perhaps very vague terms, political union. It's about completing um, the economic and monetary union by really introducing fiscal union, much closer coordination of economic policy, which everybody has always said was the missing part of monetary union. Now, why she's done that is not just that logically she thinks this is the way to go, but it's also the way she can sell to a, a really increasingly worried German electorate that Germany can be more of a guarantor of the stability of the euro if the long-range future is more Europe, not less Europe, but more Europe. And that means closer political union. This is a long way down the line. What's much closer is closer political union for the eurozone as such. So she's got this double game, if you like, persuading her electorate and coming out with... The proposals that everybody agrees are necessary for the eurozone.
1: Let's try and pin down this phrase that you, you rightly said is sometimes used very vaguely, political union. I mean, in concrete terms, what would that mean? Would that mean some sort of central authority had a veto over the national budgets of Italy or Greece?
0: I think it's quite close to that. What Merkel said in, at another moment was what the eurozone, own crisis has proved, is that within this monetary union, everyone's domestic politics are everybody else's interest, whether it's what Greece is doing, calling a referendum, whether it's what Italy's doing, having a government that is basically utterly mistrusted by the markets, uh, and so on. Everybody's local concerns become European concerns, and if we've got a situation where actually the markets in a way, have driven the overthrow of Mr. Berlusconi in Italy, then, uh, but it's the markets doing it because the euro exists, then somehow that has to be politically democratically legitimized. And the only way that I think Mrs. Merkel would see it and her party would see it is to give more democratic legitimacy to the overall European project. So then they come out with an idea like we need direct elections for the European Commission's president to make that person democratically legitimate if he interferes in the national politics of a member
1: state. Okay, And as you say, this kind of thing traditionally goes over quite well in Germany. But of course, it's in negotiation. How have Germany's European partners reacted or are they likely to react, do you think?
0: I think they're not not very happy with it at all, and that includes France. After all, Germany's, if you like, closest partner, but certainly a country in the Eurozone like Ireland is also deeply unhappy about the thought of treaty change. And uh, really, I think that it's going to be a long and difficult battle for the Germans, but what Angela Merkel has been saying actually now ever since the beginning of last year is we must never say treaty change is a taboo because then we simply mean the European Union is coming to a standstill. So in a way, throughout the last 18 months, she's been slowly pushing out the envelope to say, we can contemplate further steps down this line.
1: And indeed, in Britain, uh, also a country which, of course, will not necessarily be happy with uh, with deeper political union, even if it's just in, in the Eurozone. David Cameron, the British Prime Minister, also made a speech this week arguing that the crisis is an opportunity really to do the opposite of what Mrs Merkel is talking about and to create a looser and more networked Europe. Now is the chance to ask, what kind of Europe do we actually want? For me, the answer is clear. One that is outward-looking, with its eyes to the world, not gazing inwards. One with the flexibility of a network, not the rigidity of a block whose institutions help by connecting and strengthening its members to thrive in a vibrant world rather than holding them back, one that understands and values national identity and sees the diversity of Europe's nations as a source of strength. Chris, we heard uh, the British Prime Minister there. In a sense, is he simply restating the traditional British viewpoint that the EU should be about a single market, a looser arrangement, uh, or is there anything new in that?
2: Well, there is something new, which is that there is a view um, in in the government that so long as the eurozone keeps itself to itself, they're happy for it to have a fiscal union and deeper political union but what they don't want and they start using the phrase they don't want a caucus of eurozone members to outvote them or to try and take away various bits of the British economy and this is a very very difficult balancing act for the UK government to try and both both be rather enthusiastic about deeper eurozone integration and also Britain being on on the outskirts on the outside of that but not so far outside that they that they allow this new eurozone political union to do whatever it likes.
1: Okay, and Quentin, I gather that uh, the British role in this crisis is now attracting increasing criticism in Berlin. Could you uh, give me a sense of why the Germans are so irritated with the British, and also some idea of how central this is to their vision of, of what's going on in Europe? In other words, is their irritation with Britain kind of central to their concern about the euro? Is it, or is it just like an irritating background noise?
0: I think think there are two levels to it. Um, One is is a real concern that the British might suddenly decide that any form of treaty change is going to affect the rules and regulations in London and therefore have to be subject to a referendum in Britain, which would be undoubtedly lost. So they're very concerned that David Cameron sticks to the line that he has agreed for the last year, which is that you can change the rules as long as it only affects the eurozone and not affects the British. But within this is a very specific area which the Germans do see as being fundamental to sorting out the eurozone crisis, and that's the whole area of financial regulation. The Germans, among other things, are very keen to see introduced a financial transaction tax something that the British are absolutely passionately opposed to because they fear that it would undermine London in the global market. So uh, what I think the Germans have finally said is, look, you British cannot have your cake and eat it, really, if you like. You, you, you say that the euro, the stability of the euro is of fundamental importance to Britain, but you're absolutely not going to do anything to help stabilise it. And you say we should go ahead with closer integration in the eurozone, but absolutely nothing that in any way affects Britain. And I think it is indeed, as Chris says, a very difficult balancing act for the
1: British. How uh, how do you think the British will resolve it in the end, Chris? Do you have any sense of that?
2: Well, they certainly won't go for a financial transactions tax. And they think the German position on this is frankly bizarre um, because the fr- a lack of a financial transaction tax is very difficult to say a uh, financial transactions tax would have solved the eurozone so they say sort out the eurozone and then we might come and help you maybe through the imf at o- if at all but actually we we're going to be rather sniffy about that as well uh and uh, and so it's not a it's not a very easy or comfortable position for the british but i think the germans uh position is as well as in cloud cuckoo land, if they think uh that is only their political situation which has big constraints because, quite frankly, the Conservative Party in, in the UK, which is the main party of government here, um, has enormous constraints from its backbenchers who actually, some of them are salivating at the prospect of a Eurozone breakup. They don't care if it hurts Britain because it, the thing that would make them more pleased than anything else would be a crisis in the Eurozone. Okay, But well, can that's... I
0: just come in here very quickly sure. on the financial transaction tax? I mean, this is only one one small element, although it must be said a very politically popular one, in what the Germans see as the sort of regulation that's needed to stop the degree of massive financial speculation in the markets, which, after all, um, we've seen that the markets are behaving in a very unpredictable and, if you like, um, irrational way in many ways. And the Germans feel this is all part of restraining this excess of financial activity, which has aggravated the whole crisis beyond where it would normally have been.
1: Plus, if it could be made to work, Chris, it would be massively lucrative, wouldn't it? I mean, there's times when countries are struggling to, to find money.
2: Well, it might be. But the thing about financial transaction taxes, as Britain well knows, because it has one, it has stamp duty on share transactions, is that the vast majority of trades don't actually pay it because they use a derivative form which isn't captured by the tax or the money moves elsewhere. So the most likely thing that would happen is that actually, even if the people stayed in London or in Frankfurt who are doing the trading the trades themselves would find a way of migrating What's somewhere been else. Being logged on a
1: computer in Tuvalu so, or something.
2: So it is unlikely um, that you would get the amount of money you thought.
1: Okay, now let's close this discussion by uh, by returning to the economic situation because I think it's it's clearly the case that there's a lot of discussion about the long-term political change that Europe's got to go through. But in the meantime, the economic situation appears to deteriorate, uh, Chris. What's your reading of the European economy at the moment? I mean, are we in in serious danger now of a double dip? Have we even entered it?
2: We probably have entered it already. It's almost certainly the case that the economies of Europe, including the UK, are flat, if not falling, at the moment. What we don't know is how long that's likely to last or how deep it's going to be. And that depends on confidence. Most importantly, do people, do households and companies actually think the leaders of the world have got a grip on this crisis and those, so therefore well, they can invest and spend? Or do they think, like in 2008, that actually the world is in some sense going to hell and the best thing to do at the moment would be just to, to draw back? If it's the latter, then we get a very, very deep recession.
1: And, of course, there is, as you say, these real fears. There's quite apocalyptic talk from very senior people about what could go wrong if this Eurozone crisis really starts to unravel. Give us a sense of how realistic those fears are?
2: Well, I think they're entirely realistic. I mean, they're not necessarily very likely. We're not there yet. But if you get to a situation where money, not just in sovereign bond investors, but people in banks think actually the eurozone is quite likely to break up, and because the economy is very weak, this is making any solution even harder than it already is. So money flows directly out of an Italian bank, a Spanish bank, even a a Dutch bank, into German banks because people think that's going to be the strong currency after a breakup, will you get an immediate run on all those banking systems, you get dangers of bank collapse, and you get dangers that these banks can't finance themselves at all. Even with the ECB pumping in billions and billions and billions of money into these banks, they can still go down. And if that's what happens, then we're back right back in 2008 territory, uh, in, except it's much more scary because governments have a lot, are a lot poorer than they were then.
1: Well, Chris, we could end on that extremely gloomy note, but perhaps I'll I'll go end with Quentin. Uh, Quentin, a lot of this discussion has painted Germany as this island of economic, big island, let us say, but uh, of, of economic strength within Europe, with the German economy as the only one that anybody has any trust in. Is that how it feels in Germany?
0: Yes, it is, actually. I mean, the extraordinary thing is that that gloom that Chris has just said doesn't really relate to the to the mood in Germany at the moment. There is a feeling that, yes, the German economy is slowing down, but it's still been growing. 3% it'll grow this year. Next year, maybe back to 1%. And uh, there's a feeling that that in the end, I mean, something like 80% of Germans are absolutely confident that the euro will survive. And two thirds of them are very pleased with the way that uh, Chancellor Merkel is actually dealing with the problem. So there is a feeling in Germany that it is all exaggerated out there, that the euro is here with us to stay. And it's not just going to fall apart overnight, as they feel the Anglo-Saxon markets and the Anglo-Saxon politicians are actually have always believed it would fall apart and are now. Actually, working to make that happen.
1: Quentin, thank you very much indeed. And Chris Giles here in London, thank you also. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening.
0: For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.
2: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition
0: of the Capital Ideas Podcast.